Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Hashtag Magic Mark. Yeah, Hashtag Magic Mark is here, and you know what that means? We're going to be talking about min-max. I mean, we're going to be talking about <laughs> Magic the Gathering today. So we are jumping back into our bringing the magic of magic into D&D series. And Mark, today we are going to be taking another look at artifacts of the multiverse yeah it's a deep pool to swim in before we get into that we have some five star reviews to give some shout outs to mark you just said man it's been a while since i got to read a five star review so go ahead take us away all right up first we have a review by lunatar this podcast flays my mind yes i just happened across this podcast while searching through the tomes and i was pleased even my familiar loves it do yourself a favor and start from episode one and cast haste so you can get caught up fast love you guys great content and great advice holy cow mark dude i think this guy is a wizard i think like that's possible i think he was being trying to be subtle about it but he dropped a lot of hints that he's yeah. like a magic user i think i mean he could just be like a librarian <laughs> with a like a beagle or something. Lunatar, thank you so much. <laughs> Whether you're a wizard or not, I love wizards and I appreciate and we appreciate that review. Our next one comes from Alchemani and is entitled These Guys Rock. I just started and am now on episode seven, all the way back at the beginning. Ooh. I have learned so much on how to be a DM and can't wait to catch up. Thank you so much, Alchemani. I hope that you are enjoying our episodes. Uh, I love the idea of you catching up, but enjoy it as you go. Don't don't blast through them. Enjoy it. Well, he's not going to listen to it for like a hundred or so episodes. <laughs> he's anyway. on it now. He's listening to us right now. He's, he's like, nope, I'm caught up. I, we've had a lot of people say they've listened to our show in like a couple of weeks, which is crazy, but yeah. it's it's a good compliment. But anyway, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? The like meat back on the menu, boys. Welcome to the meat. Like we talked about in the intro today, we are returning to our bringing the magic of magic into D&D series. And we are going back to a previous episode and we're doing part two of that episode of Artifacts of the Multiverse. So in this, we are going to be looking at artifact cards and me and hashtag magic mark. We have converted these into items that can be used in a D&D game. So Mark, would you like to start us off? Would you like to take an artifact and transform it into a item to be used in D&D. Sure, yeah, I can start us off. First off, I have Static Orb. The art, first of all, is really cool. It's like this giant blue glowing electrical orb. And what it does in the game is it prevents players from untapping permanents when they during their untap step. But for what I was thinking is this could almost be more like an item that limits a person's actions 
I think of it not so much as an item that a player would have, but more like a a set piece in a big dungeon or something like that in a boss battle where instead of having the normal amount of actions in a round, all of a sudden you're limited to half of that or something like that because this locks people in place and keeps them still. They're static, like the title of the card. I imagine this being used in a fantasy world, like being put into really powerful banks where you want to, you know, you have that whole system in in a movie where it's like, oh, they're breaking into a bank and they've got to go under the lasers and they've got to like, you know, go through that stuff. In a fantasy world, there has to be some equivalent of that kind of stuff. And so this static orb, I imagine, would be like in every major vault that these PCs would break through and it wouldn't be of course the only trap but it would limit them severely in what they could do yeah it could be like in a room where like there's like that timed fire coming out of the walls kind of thing and when when your dm sits there and goes and your movement is cut in (laughs) half might be a little bit of a terrifying moment yeah or any sort of like dc check to be able to avoid that burst of flame well, you have disadvantage because of the static orb is slowing you down. All right, so I've, I've seen something that kind of was reminiscent of this in the movie Logan. So if you haven't seen it yet, maybe you should skip ahead about 45 seconds or so just to avoid any spoilers. But in the movie, there's uh, several moments where Charles Xavier has these like great moments where everybody's kind of like stunned and like locked down. But Wolverine and some other characters like crawl and like fight their way through it. I imagine like this orb in the presence of like normal common folk. They're like just locked in place and can't even breathe. But for the more epic player character types, it's like you can fight through it and you can move and you can crawl and like things like that. Yeah, that's great. Maybe even like this orb, we've talked about it slowing you down, giving you disadvantage on the ability to like avoid traps and stuff, but maybe it works like a dragon's like frightful presence. Like you have to roll con save a wisdom save, whatever it would be to be able to even move. And it, it, could be a really high one depending on like how powerful of an orb and how powerful the creator of that orb is and where it's placed like these these banks a wizard's tower wherever it is it might be higher depending on the dangerous place that it's put in like it they don't all have to be the same dc check but i imagine a powerful wizard walking into his library and just finding these three frozen like townspeople because these townspeople have broken in or these three frozen adventurers because they've broken into his tower to look for a powerful book and he's just like yeah you didn't get past my static orb you didn't know about the orb (laughs) you could even scale like the size of the orb to the intensity of it and like players can buy tiny ones that are like little grenades and you like throw them and they stun somebody for a certain amount of time or you get really big ones that just lock rooms down and there's plenty of cool ideas from there so the first one that I did is the Behemoth Sledge. And so this is a big maul that it, the heads of it, uh, the hammer part of it is carved into these two giant ram's head. It looks really sweet. Look up the art. It's by Dave Alsup. But in the game, it gives whatever creature it's attached to trample and some additives. And so what I did with this is I decided that this would be a very rare mall that you could place somewhere in your game and it would give a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls made with it but beyond that it would do additional force damage i have it doing 2d6 force damage on a successful hit to a target 
But the thing that really comes into play that makes it cool is that when you bring this mall down, I imagine you swinging this mall, and I imagine this mall being a, a really big mall. You bring this thing down, and everyone adjacent to, every creature adjacent to the target that is hit by it has to make a deck save or they take force damage as well. So I imagine this mall coming down and just kind of like hitting the ground and just cracking the very earth beneath its feet and like letting up all this force damage. Now, I did specify that the wielder himself does not get hurt. They are protected from that force damage. But I like that because I've played Barbarians before. I would love to have a mall that like (laughs) you could just like swing and just devastate Certain people. And no, I, I know you're a min-maxer, Mark. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> so you're going, ooh, and then I couple that yeah. with these feeds, and well, you it's just, going to be even better. Not even a lot. You just couple it with cleave, so you there get you it to go. proc six times. Um, I, knew you'd, I knew you'd go along those lines, but yeah. it is a very, rare, a very rare sledge, so I would say go for it. Use yeah. it with cleave. It, it makes me imagine the intro scene to Lord of the Rings when it has Sauron mm-hmm. like walking through the armies of men oh, and just yes. wham, wham, and just knocking like oh, you, groups of people around. And you have to have that like couple seconds of like everybody's just backing up like, oh no, he's yeah. coming with yeah. a behemoth sledge. <laughs> <laughs> you could even give it like a like a 10 foot knockback to just emphasize yeah. that, that thing. Very true. And just really just have this epic mall of like messing people up. Uh, you could even give it to a bad guy and see what happens. There you go. That's well, that's how you got to introduce it, right? You yeah. have to have it be a bad guy's weapon so that he can use it against all the PCs. This is the perfect thing. When you have the PCs who go, when you have players who go, oh, you don't attack the minions. You always, all of us team up on the big bad guy. You give <laughs> the bad guy this one weapon that's going to make that a bad thing for them. And then when they defeat it, they are rewarded with this awesome behemoth sledge. Exactly. Up next for me, I have the artifact Quietus Spike. It's an equipment artifact, and it's just a simple obsidian spike. I love poison weapons, and this was kind of the pinnacle of poison and magic. And whenever a creature deals damage to the player, it takes half of their health. And I just kind of thought, hmm, let's just directly carry this over into D&D so you could have an item that scales with the health of your opponent, but you can never kill somebody with it. That's the trick, because you can't mm. cut health points in half once you get to a certain point. So you have this item that you can really make an opponent suffer, but at a certain point, you're just like, I can't kill you with this. I just keep poking you. You could even introduce it as like a torturer's item. And like you get sent to a dungeon and this guy just like pokes you with it and just is excruciating pain over and over and over again. And you could have it like when they're hit at one health point and they get stabbed with it. It's just kind of like this. You can feel all the pain of like losing half of your life, but you just are like teetering on that edge. The image of this, the artwork makes me think that this is like some sort of dark artifact, that Mm. there's some religious context of it or whatever. It's this black spike on, it looks like a book, and there's this red cloth underneath it. But it's just very ominous looking. And I, I like to even imagine that maybe everything that you said is true, but I imagine that every time that the wielder uses it, it like consumes him in some way, like oh, consumes cool. his soul a little bit. So it's giving him life, but it's also like taking away a part of what he or she 
actually is to the point where maybe maybe this is an intelligent item where maybe eventually it's the spike that is in control or, or maybe even like for those people who love adventure time i'm thinking of the grass sword maybe it starts to become part of your hand itself and it becomes wielded to your body uh those are my thoughts with that you could tie it to like a warlock's pact and so like you can't yes. even wield it unless you have a pact with like a dark entity and like one of that warlock the entity's expectations on your warlock is to like stab like certain people at certain times to feed the blade and further fuel this uh darkness in it the next one i worked on was cogs workers puzzle knot that's a that's a mouthful. <laughs> the art for this is this man. Uh, he's standing in front of this this large cube. It has cogs all over it. It's golden. It's got some gems built into it. And my thought for this was that this was some sort of artifact that was a creation artifact. And so I created this Cogsworth artifact. I took this and I said, uh, this is going to be a artifact from a different plane of existence that somehow uh, these wizards maybe or your PCs or whoever it is have acquired this. They found this. Somehow it got to your plane of existence. But along with it comes the ability to create something from another plane. And so what I took this as, I went to one of the greatest D&D monsters of all time the modrons yep uh, that's and, exactly what i was thinking <laughs> yep and and that's exactly what this image makes you think of that is you look at this image of from magic the gathering and if you're going to relate this to any sort of D thing for me it's it's modrons right away and so what i have is that at six o'clock every night and so i picked six o'clock because i looked up what is the perfect number and for some reason six is the perfect like number out of the <laughs> first like 10 digits or whatever so i was like all right six o'clock every night one that is of lawful alignment because moderates are lawful so you can't yep. use this if you're not lawful has to make physical contact with the cogs workers puzzle knot i love the idea of like how did they of, how did they find this out like who, what were they doing <laughs> that they actually found out that this is what happened uh and so after that it produces a random modern that will obey every order that its creator gives so to determine what kind of modern comes out you roll a d6 one to two it's a mono drone Three, it's a duodrone. Four, it's a tridone. Five, it's a quadrone. And on a six, it's a pentadrone. So the higher roll you get, the better modern comes out. Yeah. But I just imagine that this would be stolen away by somebody, placed in a safe place, and they would just day after day after day be like creating these moderns because unless for some reason your moderns get destroyed, you're going to have eventually. A, a lot of moderns running around yeah. obeying your every will. Yeah. I recently did a lot of research into moderns and I find them fascinating. And they do like this great modern march like every 189 <laughs> years. And so now I'm picturing them like with this as like their Ark of the Covenant and like there's poles on it and they're like marching around <laughs> and like as they're cataloging how many blades of grass are in that field, they're also carrying this holy relic that summons more of them. Yeah, it totally it totally is the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> yeah. for moderns. And that's that makes that image in the player's handbook, I think it is, where the moderns are just like marching in a row and it looks very like old time cartoony. That makes that even better that yeah. like knowing that knowledge about moderns. Yeah. But yeah, so that the Cogs Workers Puzzle Knot and that's the idea I had from that. All right, up next for me, I have the Prismatic Geoscope. This is like a, a gyroscope 
sextant kind of thing in inside of it there's a crystal of each color from magic i just thought the image was this really cool thing and i thought of it as something you could put on like a plane traveling ship something that's like designed to go from one plane to the other and like you turn it in such a way and the way the crystals are aligned it's a way that you can know that if i have it this angle at this time and aligned with those two stars i'm gonna find myself at the plane of fire and you can use it as a kind of of course has to be the red the red of course yeah Exactly. So it's one of those things where it's definitely an item that you use to navigate from one plane to the other. So if you're doing more of like a late game planeswalky kind of shift from one place to the other, spell jammer kind of flavor, you could really get some cool stuff out of this. Like if you lose this item, you're stuck adrift and you don't know where you're going. Yeah. And then you have a sliders series. Or <laughs> <laughs> which would be awesome. Yeah. Just and you can it pick where you're three. going. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Once the Chromex get too into it, you kind of got to let it go. So I think this would be a really cool, like just item that you say, this is how you navigate from one plane to the next. Then you don't have to use all these spells and your spellcaster doesn't have to be like, oh, I need my get out button every day. Um, It can just be an item that does it for you. I love that for two reasons. Number one, I like it because I imagine this taking the place of like a regular compass on a ship that's like maybe an airship that like travels the planes. And so you have like the captain and the navigator standing around this pillar that instead of this big compass is centered on you have this bowl or whatever it is that's holding the these crystals and i don't imagine it being this typical mechanical device that they're able to just adjust but you have to be specially trained in the way to be able to adjust this and so may and that maybe is a dangerous thing too you said what happens if you lose this item what happens if you lose the people on your ship that are trained in this because I almost imagine that somebody not trained trying to affect this is worse than not having it at all, to be honest, because you're just going to end up somewhere different. The second reason why I like this is because it fits exactly into my next item that I pulled from, and that's the extra planar lens. Oh, hey. And so I pulled this item, and mostly I pulled it because of the art. It's this lens that it has these these five knobs on it that you can like change, I would imagine, the lens that you're using to be able to look through. And so, of course, because it's magic, it's the five colors of magic. But I took that and I said, like you said, (laughs) no, 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 these are about the planes. And so maybe you can add in different colors beyond the five colors of magic that adjust with the different planes. But I took this this as an item that wizards and sorcerers and those, and if we're talking about Magic the Gathering, planeswalkers would use to be able to see into a different plane of existence because in my mind i like to think of planeswalking and i like to think of traveling to another plane especially if you're talking about having an entire ship that's going to be doing that yeah i like to imagine that there is danger in doing that sort of like nightcrawler from the x-men where it's like no no no. if i can't see where i'm going i could just teleport myself into a wall I could just pop myself into a volcano and that would not be good. I'd be dead. <laughs> like, and so I like to imagine that there have been death after death after death of like sorcerers and planeswalkers who haven't done this right. And so they've created this, this extra planar lens to be able to adjust. And so I came up with like, of course, like I said, red has yeah. to be fire. the plane of fire. Green is plane of earth. White would be plane of air, blue plane of water, obviously. And then I decided that black would just be the material plane. Cause when you're, when you're on the plane of fire, you need to make sure that you're not popping back into a wall. 
on the material plane exactly. as well. Safe passage home. Yeah. And you could even, if you have alternate planes like celestial and whatnot, you could even, instead of having different colors, you could do combinations. Like when yeah. you have blue yeah. and black you next to each other. You just the two knobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you're looking through like all five, that could be your material plane. And then you could have like room to flex everything else into each other. Yeah, that's perfect. Because then you have like 25 options instead of five. <laughs> Up next for me is the Cauldron of Souls. And this is an item that is basically in the picture. It's like this big cauldron. Surprise. That <laughs> it seems like it's all etched with like underworldy kind of flavor. And I kind of imagined this to be something that takes souls into it and kind of absorbs things into it. And the interesting thing about this is the mechanic that it gives the creatures that are affected by it is undying. So I think it might be like a good lich's tool or even just a necromancer's tool of like Oh yeah, you, it's got to be a you recruit, or a lich's tool. Yeah, you recruit your army of living things and you say, "All right, you're going to serve me now in life, but your soul is going to be in this cauldron." So even when you die, you will still serve me. There is no escape from your servitude. You are mine forever, mm. life and death. But I want to use your living body because sometimes those are more useful than corpses. Living bodies can go shopping. Corpses, not so much. Or is it ghosts even? That yeah. once their soul can't go to the next life because it's stuck in this cauldron and you as the necromancer have power over it. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's that's the lore of ghosts is for some reason they can't move on. And it's usually, well, they have unfinished business. Well, no, in this situation, it's because they're tethered here yeah. because of this cauldron. Yeah, you could even, with the necromancer, you're like two for one special. The guy dies, I get a soul. Yeah. I get a ghost <laughs> and a zombie. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mindless zombie. <laughs> Ooh. And then you put like the soul of the guy in charge of the zombie. Yeah. That is his old body. Yeah. Just his own <laughs> Fun version you're of you're a jerk of yeah. a necromancer. Well, most necromancers, it's kind of <laughs> kind of a common thread. Uh, my next item, Mark, I think you're gonna go. I want that. <laughs> I don't care what what character it's for. I want that. So I have the Gorgon Flail. Ooh. So this is exactly what it sounds like. This is a flail that someone took the head of a deceased Gorgon or a Medusa in D&D terms, and grafted it onto this flail. <laughs> so I I came up with this whole system that basically you can, as a bonus action, use the flail when attacking to have the person that you're engaged with, they have to roll a con save or they start to become petrified. Now, just like a Gorgon, uh, just like a Medusa in D&D, you can choose to avert your eyes if you're not surprised by this. Like if you know that this is the item that is being used by your enemy and you can choose to avert your eyes so that you're not going to be affected by the gaze of this, this Gorgon's head. However, if you do that, then you're attacking blindly the person yeah. you're attacking. So it's it's a negative thing either way. But I love this idea of just this this guy having this flail with a gorgon's head attached to it that he's like holding it up against his enemies. And I do specifically say if the wielder ever sees the eyes that they have to, of course, also make a check against it or become petrified. And Medusa petrification is not as... It's not as easy to break as like that of a cockatrice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit harder. Yeah, I think I keep on thinking of now like what other things could I shove the head of a Medusa <laughs> in? Uh, could I'm I put it this is what I've started. <laughs> could I put it in a shield and have like a button on the shield that like slides like a piece up oh, and just is like that would be surprise. Sick. <laughs> yeah. Um 
And that's even less of a damagey item, yeah. which is weird for me. And there's like, where can I hide Medusa eyes that I don't see them, but I can always be like, <laughs> surprise petrification um, and mess with other people. Um, yeah. It'd be a dangerous tool to have in my hands, but one that would be fun. Next for me is the Crucible of Worlds. The artwork for this is fascinating. I love that it's just this giant cauldron that you would picture like lava and magma for like forging swords and metal and stuff like that. I picture Geonosis and Mustafar <laughs> from Star Wars of like those giant buckets that just yeah, carry the it lava has around. That feel from it. Uh, but instead of it being like red magma, it's this like glowing blue liquid that kind of is used to craft living things. I kind of picture this of like if you ever find like a warforged factory, this is the thing that pours the the like life essence into oh, the yeah. warforged. So they make all the metal parts and then all of a sudden they like pour like six drops of this into like a certain spot and then the guy wakes up and it's like hey i'm alive now so it could be this really cool tool and set piece thing that just kind of pours this precious liquid into something that's not living and makes it alive you could have some fun experiments of like okay (laughs) i'm gonna dip my sword in it and see what happens or having other character opportunities of things that can really bring some really excellent elements into living inorganic immaterial things (laughs) i'm sensing a theme among your items (laughs) (laughs) the next one that i want to highlight is the magic card profane memento the image of this is of a skull that's been adorned with gold on it a black skull i should say that's been adorned with gold on it there's a feather next to it and this like ritualistic looks like it's made with uh, we're gonna we'll say red paint <laughs> on the ground, <laughs> winky face. <laughs> but here's the thing. So basically, I took this image and I took the flavor text and I created an item around it. So the flavor text is: an angel skull is left too plain by death. I made a few aesthetic modifications. So I decided, all right, this is an angel skull. That's clear by the feather and the flavor text. And so, what is a profane memento? And so I decided that uh, a profane memento is a angel skull, that's the item, but it is made in a very specific way. It's the skull of a dead angel. To become a profane memento, the angel must be killed, burned in unholy fire, and then soaked in the slayer's blood under a full moon. And that makes it a profane memento. But what does a profane memento do? This is what I think is really cool. I don't imagine, I mean, maybe your players will make a profane memento, although that's a really dark campaign. (laughs) But I imagine bad guys having this and you as adventurers having to find this bad guy. Because one who controls a profane memento is blind to the god of whom the angel served. So the god who controlled this angel, that this angel was a servant to, if you kill that angel in this way and create this profane memento, you become totally invisible to this god. They can't locate you through any means. Say you're standing right in front of him. Can he see you? No, he can't. Like You are completely blind. As as, As long as this profane memento exists, if this is destroyed, then the spell is broken. So that's the thing. This is going to obviously be used by people who specifically don't want to be found by a certain god. Maybe like your, I think your mind went to, are they trying to overthrow that god themselves? Yep. Have they done something so terrible that they know it would be something that they would be 
right away smited by. I even imagine, like, take this to the nth degree and make a villain who has a collection of these things, like, on his wall so that he's totally invisible to, like, all the gods uh, in your pantheon. They can't find him. They don't know what he's up to, and he's just doing things behind closed doors that they really would have a problem with but have no idea because of it. That, to me, is a a creepy villain, and I thought of it almost in the sense of, like, Horcruxes because you don't even need it in in your possession as long as it exists as long as it's not destroyed so some villains might carry it with them some villains might say no i'm going to store it somewhere that it'll never keep it secret keep it safe exactly a way you could have players kind of interact and need this item is since it has to be soaked in the slayer's blood i'm imagining like okay there's a war between angels and demons demon kills the angel then you, as the players, have to kill the demon and do this to the angel's skull so that you can become invisible to maybe, like, some good pantheon god went rogue. Mm. Like, I think back to uh, our Sons of Bastion campaign when Heronius kind of went from lawful good to mostly lawful to kind of lawful evil. (laughs) Lawful neutral. Yeah. (laughs) Tending downwards. There were dark times. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, it's like, All right, if there was a group of people that decided we need to kill Heronius, this would be kind of one of those ways of like, all right, we need to first of all create a situation where an angel of Heronius gets killed by something that we can't kill. And then you have to kill that thing, and then you do this dark ritual, and you create this thing so that you as a group can go slay a god. It would be a really cool epic level campaign that That would be lots of people need a lot of time to (laughs) get there. But someday, maybe. (laughs) Up next for me, it kind of ties into my soul cauldron, is the soul separator. I kind of was on a little necromancy kick, apparently, when I was looking up my items. So this one, I almost envisioned kind of like the part A to the soul cauldron's part B. It's a device that you kind of like strap a person down, and it's got all these like dark metal brackets and things, that, and you can see it like pulling the soul energy out of a person. A necromancer could use this to extract the soul Jeez, out of a person. you're all about necromancers. I know, necromancers right? Today. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a shtick I had, apparently. <laughs> or it was a theme in the, the list of magic cards Maybe, that yeah. I was looking through, and I was just like, ooh, that picture looks cool. Oh, those tie together. Because <laughs> I think almost everything I picked had something glowing and blue. There you go. So maybe that was more the theme. So there's this item that kind of like rips the soul out of people, and I think you could find a torturer who's also a necromancer that has the spike to stab and torture people. And then they strap him into this thing, suck his soul out, put it in a cauldron. And then you, <laughs> you kind of get your trifecta of evil items right then and there. Yeah. So I think this is something that you could see kind of like in that last room of a dungeon, or you even go into a dungeon and it's like that empty room that the DM never really explains what's going on. You just say, Hey, there's this kind of like bed looking thing with all these like weird devices over top of it and there's like a husk of a man sitting in the thing (laughs) that's pretty much all for this room you want to look around some more or (laughs) you want to move on to the next one and almost kind of like it exists in your world but nobody ever really knows what it is until somebody's getting strapped into it maybe later that day all right so i'm gonna end our time as we discuss these magic the gathering artifacts turning them into D&D items. I'm going to end with, Mark, one of your favorite types of items. Oh, man. Cursed item. Ooh. (laughs) So. They're great in somebody else's hands. (laughs) Yeah, this one is 
awful. So this one comes from the card Sands of Delirium. And so this is an hourglass in the artwork. And this guy is like sitting in the background. You can't see his face. It's covered by his hood. And he's just staring at this hourglass as it runs out. And the flavor text of it literally says, it counts down your last few moments of sanity. So... This, of course, is a cursed <laughs> item. And so the cursed hourglass, once someone has made physical contact with it, they are forever bound to the object unless the curse is removed with a greater restoration spell. However, when they become bound with the Sands of Delirium, they become obsessed with the object and simultaneously obsessed with keeping it a secret from others. <laughs> so the hourglass takes a full day to empty, and upon each completion, the Cursed One must make a DC 15 Wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, now remember it's a DC 15 Wisdom saving throw, on a failed save, the Cursed One permanently loses one point of wisdom. <laughs> uh, at the end of completion, the Cursed One must turn it over so that the Sands may once again fall. So upon reaching a wisdom score of zero, which, Mark, what happens when you reach a wisdom score of zero? You go into a catatonic coma-like state that you can't ever recover from. <laughs> the Cursed One's bond with the Sands of Delirium is broken at that point. But you're completely broken yeah. at that point. There's you're no coming dead. back from you're that. Ball. And by, I mean, by that, if you're with an adventuring party, like eventually, and this is not an item that I would advise using like on adventuring parties, really. But if this was to happen, like people are going to start to notice that this PC is acting crazier and crazier as they start to lose. And maybe they have a high wisdom and they're going to be good for a while. But once you start losing it, the harder it becomes to not be turned to this catatonic state that you're eventually going to be in so a pretty terrible cursed item yeah i i imagine it like in a room and you just explain it like there's an hourglass sitting there and all the sands on the top but it doesn't seem to be falling and the first person to go hey what's going on with this thing <laughs> yes grabs <laughs> we've it. had that happen before yeah. where somebody goes i grab it <laughs> yeah it's not always and, a good and the thing decision. is that the fact that it turns you into kind of like obsessed with like keeping it yeah. hidden. The whole party sees you at least go, Hey, what's going on with this thing? And there's your end to make it something of a solvable exactly. issue. Don't ever like pre give this to somebody. So it's like, everybody sees you grab it. And as soon as you grab it, it's almost like the room kind of fades away maybe. And it's like, you can throw like, it in your backpack yeah, real quick. Yeah. You like explain it. Like the room, like you said, it all fades away. Everything becomes muffled yeah. as if in a dream, but you, the sands start to slow down in your vision and you hear every grain of sand hitting with a loud ringing thud, yeah. the sand pile underneath. So you're totally zoned in. And yeah. I just imagine like your group going, Hey, Hey, Hey. And you're just, Whoa, what, what? <laughs> what's going on? Oh, nothing. Nothing's going on. And as you like try to discreetly put this huge hourglass, like in your bag, <laughs> I don't have that. No. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah, let's, so let's, uh, Let's end this where it is at yeah. with uh, leaving them off with a cursed item and going, man, those guys are jerks. Yeah, what a curse. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. I have some really, really good news. If you are one of our Patreon members, if you are Silver Dragon or up, you can get 
the homebrew stats that me and Mark have made for all of these items that we just talked about and more. We have some items that we didn't even get some time to discuss. Mark, I know you said you have at least one, which yeah. is... Well, one that's four. It makes more sense on a page than in verbal processing. <laughs> Mine is the Helm of Gods. That was an item that I think is really cool, but it would have taken a while to explain. The Mox Opal and the Soul Ring. So if you want access to those and you're a Silver Dragon, hey, you got it. And if you aren't a Silver Dragon then you can head over to our Patreon if that sounds something that you'd be interested in. Mark, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, one, where could they reach you at? And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us at the show, where can they do that at? Well, you can find me on Twitter at real, R-E-A-L, underscore Ricks, R-I-X. And you can find the collective us, the DMs block, at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com is the email address. And we would love some more five-star reviews. So please head on over to iTunes if you haven't already and give us a five-star review. Really helps us out to reach new people so we can get more five-star reviews. That's really all we're in this for. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Uh, anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, those are the two places to go. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Philip. Thank you, Philip. Just Philip. Philip, you are a bronze dragon. So we really appreciate your support of us on Patreon. You gain access to all of our bonus pods. We hope that you are able to enjoy all of those. Thank you so much for your support. The Dungeons Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Feel free to go on and check out our other shows like the GM Showcase. It's great. The Geek Wars and We Are So Bad at Adventuring and more. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. Have a great one, guys. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.